Hi, I'm Ilya Marchenko and you're listening to Functional Tennis Podcast. Welcome to episode 69 of the Functional Tennis Podcast. Today I speak to Ukrainian pro player Ilya Marchenko. Ilya is a former top 50 ranked player who has played some great players and tells us about his career, his new YouTube channel, some tour stories, and also dealing with drop shots from Hugo Gaston, the guy who put Dominic Team under a lot of pressure during Roland Garros. Before we get started, super thanks to our podcast sponsors, Slinger, who make the awesome Slinger bag that is loved by many amateur and pro players. Okay, here we go. Hi, Ilya. Welcome to the Functional Tennis Podcast. How are you? Hi, good, good. How are you? Uh, thanks for inviting me. Oh, no, thanks for coming on. A big thanks to my friend and your friend, James Klusky, who suggests you come on. He showed me your YouTube channel, which I thought was pretty cool for a tennis player. And normally tennis players are quite reserved. And yours just really, it's a fun, fun account, fun channel. And so is your Instagram. So I was like, yes, we got to get him on. And I just want to start off this one thing. One of your videos had a guy who's been all over the news lately for a great run at Roland Garros. Now we are recording this on the women's final day of Roland Garros, which Igas, what do you, do you know how to pronounce it? No, I have no idea. She, she's amazing. She had a great win and I'm really delighted for her. But uh, during that tournament, Hugo Gaston had a great run and he was tormenting tennis players with drop shots. When he played team, there was about 55 drop shots and team stands about five meters back. So that was a lot of drop shots he had to cover. But you have a video up there, Ilya where you talk about, was it your worst match ever <laughs> playing Hugo? And it's just drop shot after drop shot. Tell me, what did you know about Hugo before you played him? Well, I've seen, I've seen his matches before and uh, I knew for sure he's going to use his drop shots against me. But uh, sometimes you prepare for the match and uh, you know about it, but uh, he makes a drop shot. You run there, you are there, you can play it. But uh, then he is very good with his hands. So uh, he winning most of that po those points because he's very comfortable in that situation after his drop shots. Yeah, and that uh, we played indoors. Uh, so it's kind of easier to cover all those drop shots. But still, it was a very long match and uh, three sets, uh, three, 34 drop shots, uh, if I remember correct, uh, correctly. And uh, yeah, it's just a lot of, a lot of run and it's kind of crazy. Uh, we had a lot of breaks uh, and was a lot of ups and downs. And uh, at the end of the day, I was almost cramping at the end and it was only three sets match. Uh, so I cannot imagine what, uh, what Dominic team felt uh, during his uh, Ryan Garros match against Gaston. And is there anything you can do to stop him hitting drop shots? Well, the only thing you can do, you can try to play deep. So he has uh, like no good opportunity to do that. But uh, I mean, after his serve, it's uh, not very easy to return deep or something like he He will always have those opportunities. And on top of that, he's... Uh, he has very good uh, touch. So even in situations 
where like regular players would not do it. Uh, he can still do it, uh, maybe not as as good as from inside of the court, but uh, he can still make some damage. And yeah, but actually, I think it he uses it too much a bit because at the beginning it was working like almost ten out, nine of out of ten, and uh, uh, at the end of the match I was actually winning those drop shots, and I think that's why I won that match. Okay, and how? How did you feel psychologically when he's hitting drop shot after drop shot? Do you feel he's like, in Ireland, you'd say he's taking the piss, he's making a fool out of you? Do you feel like that? Well, yeah, it, it, it pisses you off like, like <laughs> crazy. Uh, well, I, we had one point when uh, he made a drop shot, but he was very close to the net and uh, I almost had a smash and I hit like full to him. I, I didn't have many options but I hit full you know like with all that frustration uh, I, I miss him but I mean he was a bit like what's going on and yeah I, I was sorry I mean I didn't mean to injure him or something but I mean at that moment when you run you see the ball you see him like boom <laughs> uh, it's like big respect to him after this like crazy match uh, I think he had no hard feelings against me and me for me the same way we leave everything on court and uh, it doesn't continue off court. Yeah, I can only imagine you're there, drop shot. And you're like, oh, no, what is this guy? Do, leave me alone. At, at some spot, he, he he made like three in a row. So like, oh my God. <laughs> and how did how did you feel the next day? Could you feel that you'd ran 35 sprints? Uh, thanks God they cancelled our final <laughs> because of this Corona thing. And uh, yeah, I didn't have to play the next match uh, next day. And uh, my, my legs were definitely sore and uh, I'm not sure how we'll handle that uh, next round match. And do you think that's why Dominic team and the fifth set against Swartzman was finished? Do you put a lot of it down to, obviously the US Open and the mental baggage from that, but do you think... That was the final nail in the coffin, just sprint after sprint after sprint. Well, definitely, definitely. I mean, Dominic is a very fit player, uh, one of the fittest players out there. And uh, of course, he he used to, to play five setters. And um, But still, I mean, fi- how, many, how many sprints? Fif- 58, he, I think. Yeah, 50 something. And uh, I mean, it's still the work has to be done. So... Definitely, I, I'm pretty sure that uh, part of his loss against Schwartzman was uh, because of uh, this match against Gaston. I'm not sure if you saw Djokovic and Sitsi pass where Djokovic was hitting ridiculous drop shots, but then he was drop shot lob. And so you're two sprints every time. So it's just crazy. But And do you think players training with, I know it's maybe because it's Roland Garros, it's not slower, heavier conditions. Do you think next time if that was to happen, they'd have to change their training coming into that, building more sprint work or would they keep it the same? I don't know. uh, I'm pretty sure that everyone is trying to be as fit as possible. It's not like you don't think about it. We are working on it uh, all the time, but uh, someone is more successful, someone is not. For me, it's more difficult to play like uh, long matches, uh, like five setters or something, because I have... uh, my age, I have pain everywhere, and on top of that, uh, I'm more like sprint kind of a person, so I can run fast, but not for very long time. And uh, with uh, this uh, uh, enforcement, this uh, time violation enforcements, uh, for the few past years, uh, it became more difficult for me uh, to recover. 
still, I mean, what can you do? You, you, you do what you have to do. You practice, you train physically and you trying to be as fit as possible for those upcoming matches. And I don't think uh, these drop shots uh, somehow change the way we practice. I mean, I do sprints anyway, every week, uh, every, every training cycle. So. Okay, great. Let's talk a bit about you a bit more about you you're from ukraine yeah yeah i read you started playing tennis when you were seven yeah yeah that's and true f- who was was your parents your inspiration how did you start playing tennis where did well i, I was uh ill pretty often uh and uh one of the reasons i went to play tennis was uh, uh to build my immune system and uh but my brother used to be a figure skater so after like one or couple of years, my parents understood that I'm pretty good at it and it might be something more than just a uh, recreational and uh, building immune system thing. And did you play the junior circuit or did you go straight to seniors? No, we, we, my parents didn't have enough uh, money, so I couldn't travel outside of Ukraine. Uh, but I was trying to play those tournaments inside the country and I mean, my best uh, ITF ranking under 18 was uh, 300. Uh, so not much, but I'm pretty sure that my level of, of the game was much higher than that. You don't need a top ITF ranking just to... Maybe like top 10, so you get sponsors, but otherwise, yeah, there is no reason to pursue the like top 100 or whatever. Unless you want a good university in the States where if you're top 30, let's say, you're going to get some of the better universities in the States? I, I don't know about better ones or worse ones, but even with that level, uh, I had some uh, invitations to, to go to US. Okay, and you decided to go pro then. You said, I'm not going to university. Yeah, I, will just, I, bl- I always blindly believe that I can become a tennis pro one day. I mean, at that time, my chances were pretty low, and but I, I still believed. And uh, one day I got a call from a tennis club in Donetsk and uh, they invited me to practice in in their club and they were covering all expenses uh, since that time so since 18 till probably 23 20 no 25 they were covering all expenses so I had good opportunity to become a real tennis pro and nice and who else were do we know any other names who you're playing with at the time from Ukraine well we had players I mean neither of us I mean Nedovesov, he's from Kazakhstan now, but uh, he born in Ukraine. He was playing for Ukraine for a long time. Smirnov, uh, I think he's still playing. And uh, we had some other guys like Petrov, uh, Brichik. I don't remember the names, all the names right now. But I mean, I don't think the level was low in Ukraine. I think uh, the level was pretty good. Just uh, like myself, many, many players couldn't have, uh, couldn't travel abroad to, to play tournaments and uh, that's why uh, many of them stopped so the club gave you money and that allowed you to travel then yeah yeah the, since 18 they were sponsoring me and uh yeah i started to to really focus on tennis since 18 and uh yeah it was a big big push for me and tell me when was your big breakthrough result where you thought okay i'm going places here I won my first challenger title in Istanbul. Then a uh, week later or something like that, I made uh, semis in big challenger in Mons. 
Then uh, next week uh, I made uh, semis uh, in Moscow ATP from Qualis. I got special example to the next ATP in St. Petersburg. I made quarters there. And week after I made uh, finals in big challenger in Astana. So, you know, this couple of weeks like really improved my ranking and uh, my self-confidence. And uh, I started the next year in Australia with uh, passing the qualities and uh, beating Moya. So yeah, I think that period was uh, really important. What year was this now? I was around 22, 23. It was really a long time ago. And uh, at that time, uh, I was in top 100 uh, for the first time and I was one of the youngest ones. Uh, I was like 23 and one of the youngest ones. It's a bit different nowadays, but yeah. What was it like beating Carlos Maya? That must be like a Grand Slam champion. Yeah, yeah. But at that time, I think it was his last year. He was uh, finishing his career, so it was not his prime, definitely. And uh, probably that's what I mean, it was definitely not the level of uh, X number one. But uh, I mean, still uh, very exciting to, to beat such player. Especially you're a young guy and he would have been a champion. So I think you take, I'd take that win. If you don't want it, I'll have it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, definitely, yeah. Okay, so were you playing Davis Cup at this stage? Uh, yeah, probably. I played for Davis Cup the whole time I was invited, so... Okay, so you kept, so make Grand Slam, win it, you win around, you beat Maya. And how does the year progress? Like, how, what rank are you now? You're top 100, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Top 100. And your career high then was about 50, was it? 49? Well, it was uh, like five years later or something, because that year I think I had like the best ranking 67 or it was one year later, but at that period, then I got injured, had one surgery on my right knee, another one on my left knee, and uh, I dropped almost 500 something. And then I started my journey to back to top 100. And I think it took like three or four or even five years to come back and again I became uh, I made this uh, fourth round in the US Open uh, and after that I got this uh, career high 49 and after that uh, many more injuries to come so in injuries why did it take so long to get back up there like you take three years was it just physical confidence uh, well because uh, after surgery my my problem was not solved and uh, I was struggling uh, probably for one year after after three sets uh, my 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 knee would would become swollen and uh, it was not the same uh, Ilya Marchenko than before because before I could just run all day uh, I would uh, run for everything and uh, after the knee surgery, it was not the best option. And uh, yeah, it took time to, to come back. And it's not, not easy to, to break through again. But you were persistent, that showed. Since my last big injury, shoulder surgery, I uh, was struggling for almost one year and a half. Uh, I had pain. I mean, I, I still have pain from, from time to time. And uh, one month ago, I had another injury with my shoulder, but just a different, different uh, tendon. I think I, I, I think I am recovering from injury the most part of my career. I think that's the case with a lot of athletes, though, isn't it? Maybe not. Yeah, it's like Del Potro as well. I mean, what can you What can you do? Yeah, the body just keeps breaking down. 
This podcast is brought to you by ASICS Tennis. ASICS is a Japanese company founded in 1949 with the purpose of giving more people the opportunity to experience how sport and movement can have a positive impact on mental well-being. That purpose is also in their name. ASICS is an acronym which means Anime Sano Incorporate Sano, a Latin phrase meaning sound mind, sound body. Today, the brand is still dedicated to that founding belief of demonstrating the positive effects sport and movement can have on our mental well-being all over the world. They just launched their most innovative tennis range ever, which includes the new Court FF3 Novak, the shoe designed from the ground up with the help of Novak Djokovic. Get your pair now at asics.com. But Tommy, so you've played, you've been on the tour a while, you've played a lot of matches, but for you, what matches do you remember the most? What's, what's most special? Well, I have a couple of unpleasant, of course, unpleasant ones. Well, let's start with that. Okay, against against uh, Stachowski. I think it was actually the same year I I beaten Moya. The next round was against Stachowski, and I was serving for the match five four and fifth and forty fifteen. Oh, two match points. Yeah, on my serve, I just collapsed. Uh, my body couldn't hold anymore. Cramps and everything. And yeah, I was physically done, and uh, I mean that hurts, especially against Sergi. <laughs> He's a friend of yours, I take it. Yeah, yeah, yeah friend uh, and uh, I lost to him most of the times. Uh, we had like three top players, Dogopolov, Sergei and me, and uh, I was actually never better than them. So, and I was always wanted to beat. That's, that's why it hurts even more. Yeah, he beat me like again in Grand Slam, like second round after beating Monfield. So it's, uh, I have pretty, pretty, pretty bad memories with, with Sergei. Does he remind you every now and again? No, no, he doesn't. Yeah, he's, he's, he's true leader of uh, Ukrainian team. He cannot do it. <laughs> so I lose all my confidence. Yeah, he cannot do it. And and tell me, so you just went into full body cramp. The heat just... It was, it was not full body cramp, but it's like uh, I couldn't move anymore. I, my body just stopped. Really painful. It's serving for the match, 5-4 and, th- and fifth. Uh, I was not... Uh, thinking about that much too often but uh today <laughs> okay well sorry to sorry to bring it up again <laughs> yeah 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 and so tell me next what other memories do we have good or bad it's up the bad stories are just as good as the good one well i remember all the all the matches against these big, big guys against murray a couple of times uh, two times uh, against Favrinka two times against tonga two times and uh, and of course against those guys who i've beaten uh, Kyrgios, uh, Monfils, uh, David Goffin, Nishikori. Who else? Uh, now, Hachanov, Rublov, I've beaten those guys as well. And tell me, Ilya, like, against, you lost to Murray a couple of times in Stan. What did you learn coming off the court playing them? Well, we would uh, run a lot for one point, And after that, I would be uh, done. And he could do it the whole day. And uh, he wasn't, he is very strong in uh, in running. So probably, probably what's not the best way to beat him. And, uh, against Stan, I mean, US Open when he won the tournament, somehow I've stolen the third set and in fourth, uh, I had a feeling that right now I'm winning those uh, long rallies and like, Right now, I'm better player on the court. Uh, that was uh, my thought during the changeover. I think it was 3-2. And uh, I'm not sure if I won uh, one game since then or uh, won zero games since then. But I remember I had that thought. And after that, he began to play like unbelievable win- winners with his backhands, forehands. And- those, those guys, 
the top guys seem to have an extra gear, don't they? We see Murray, Rafa do it. They all do it from term to term, but they get to five all. People are hanging in with them. And then it's either they raise the level or they can maintain their level, whether the lower ranked players just can't maintain that level. Definitely. I mean, they have more confidence and uh, they they are more calm in those situations. And in tennis, you don't need uh, much to have a big, uh, big difference. It's always like all the small details which help you to win those matches. At the end of the day, when you look at the statistics, uh, it's only a couple of points. They just know how to play the big points better. So yeah, 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 of course. Yeah. So yeah, that's that's crazy. So tell me, Let's say so many people struggle to break into the top 100. That's their dream, top 100. Obviously, that's their next goal. And you break top 100, you move in. But so many, I know from Ireland here, that is the challenge, top 100. They just can't break through. And obviously, top 50 is the next barrier. And then it moves in. But to make that step, for you, what do you think is important? To actually break through uh, to top 100, I think uh, with the current uh, ranking system, you have to play like a top 50 player. Because to make that step, you have to play actually better than average, I would say like 90 or 80 something player. You need to win a lot of matches and uh, don't be afraid to play against those big, big names and, uh, and beat them. That's uh, what it takes. And uh, I always prefer to play big tournaments because I could learn something from better players and uh, I could get used to playing against them. And uh, I, I know many players would prefer to go to main draw or to be seated in, uh, in challenging events. And I was always uh, going for uh, ATP qualifications. Now it's more difficult because qualifications are only 16. And uh, you have to enter. You cannot just come and, and sign. But uh, yeah, I, I always prefer to play big, big tournaments. Did you have a team, like a trainer, a coach? Oh, well, of course, of course. Coach always, uh, obviously. And uh, fitness, fitness coach at home. For a couple of weeks, I had him with me on different tournaments. But I mean, they were changing. And uh, most of the time, nobody's traveling with me. Uh, who can treat me, but uh, you always have to organize uh, everything at home, at least for preparation. True. Yeah, you're right. And let's move this on to a couple of things. One is your YouTube channel. As I said, my our friend James Kluski forwarded on to me. I thought it was great. And it's great to see, you know, it's great to see a tennis player with some personality. You don't see that too often. So where did the idea come about? Well, I was pretty boring during this uh, quarantine. And uh, I made one funny, f- funny video. Uh, the feedba- feedback was pretty good. And uh, then I started to learn more on how to make videos and stuff like that. And uh, all of a sudden I was making like one after another and uh, more ideas were popping up. And uh, yeah, that's, that's how I started. And uh, at the beginning, I had no idea how to edit it. I had never done it before and uh, trying to improve every video with some new tricks. Feedback, feedback is very positive. I don't get uh, that many views, but uh, I hope for the better. And uh, that feedback is uh, really pushing me forward. And we will see. Um, I, I just I need like 200 something subscribers to, to get that monetization and uh, many, many hours of watch time. But from what I've heard after 
you get there, it's much easier. So we'll see. Maybe you need to call City Pass for some advice. We have completely different content, I would say, and uh, I don't think it's going to work. <laughs> and tell me, obviously the match is tomorrow, but it's going to air in a couple of weeks' time. So it's going to be old news by the time, but I'm going to get you to give me your guess or give me your calculated experience guess on who's going to win between Novak and Rafa. And how many sets? This this is going to be live. Or this going to go out afterwards? So, yeah, you're going to be putting the spot here. I mean, before semifinals, I would say Djokovic. I just think that uh, courts and balls are better for him than th- this year than uh, for Rafa. But uh, I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure he lost some energy yesterday against Sissipas. And I mean, it's 50-50. It's just it's really difficult to predict. Uh, Rafa is very confident co- confident in Paris. Uh, I have less uh, titles in, in total than he has from uh, Paris. Uh, it's uh, and I have challenger titles. So I cannot imagine how confident this guy is uh, to play at his home, obviously. But Djokovic is really strong mentally. The way he came back after this disqualification is amazing to be that strong after all those negative comments. And uh, I would still stick with Djokovic, but I mean, it's... Blind guess. You you cannot. I don't know. I cannot. It's difficult to predict in this situation. I mean, it's just a guess. It's one point difference. That's all. Two points. And let's end this on. I know you're a man who looks like you have a few funny stories. Uh, you were talking about some laces. Give me your best one. At the time, we had no electronic tickets. I was uh, in China. Uh, playing challengers. So first, first thing in the, during that trip that a uh, friend of mine I was sharing a room with, he got a uh, chicken pox. <laughs> so he had to withdraw from, from all the tournaments, but he was staying with me the whole time. At the moment I had to, to leave China. Somehow uh, I, I've lost my ticket and, uh, I call, I call to, to the airline to ask, uh, what should I do? And they tell me, okay, you just come to the airport, you pay the fee of uh, $35 and they will reissue your ticket. Okay, so I go to, to the airport, come there and they say, no, we cannot do that because uh, your ticket was issued by Donbass Aero from Ukraine, but the ticket actually is for flight uh, of Aeroflot. So no, we, can, we cannot put you on a plane. I'm like, okay, so what do I have to do? You have to deal with uh, Donbass Air. Okay, I go, I, f- I find some cheap hotel to stay next to the airport. I call to Donbass Air. It's, you know, time difference and everything. Donbass Air is like small company. It doesn't exist anymore. Uh, but yeah, I call there and ask them, okay, I have this situation. What do I have to do? No, you, the, all you have to do, you just, uh, Go to Aeroflot office and uh, they will issue your ticket uh, for $35. I'm like, okay. I call to the to Moscow, to Aeroflot, to their center office. I ask them, okay, I have this situation. I have a ticket issued from Donbass Air, but it's actually Aeroflot ticket on the Aeroflot flight. What should I do? Because at the airport, they told me they cannot reissue the ticket. And the lady says... No, you just go to the airport and they reissue your ticket for $35. I'm like, okay. So the next day I go to the airport 
uh, to their office and uh, the boss like, no, you have to buy another ticket. I'm like, I called like everyone and everyone is saying that you can do that for $35. Like, what's wrong? And then uh, he goes like, mm, what is going on? You're a sportsman. Don't you have a money? I'm like, no, because, you know, I need money for my next tournaments. I'm like, what kind of question is that? I mean, so basically he wanted me to just to buy the new ticket, but he actually could reissue me the old one. So after complaining for one more hour, uh, he actually, he done, he, he's done it. He just reissued uh, the ticket for $35. But that's, that's not the end of the story. Okay. <laughs> okay, I get the ticket. Uh, I go check in. Everything is good. I go to the gate and it was, uh, that year in Shanghai, I think they had like thin, uh, amount of, uh, snow. So they closed the airport and for nine hours I was closed in the airport waiting, uh, for the time when we actually can fly <laughs> to Moscow. And after nine hours, I, okay, I take a plane. So obviously I'm, I'm late for my connection in Moscow. Uh, when we land in Moscow, like, and it's, it's storming like crazy, like this snow. I don't know what's going on. Okay, we landed there and, uh, yeah. And only the day after I was able to, to make it to Donetsk. So it was pretty crazy trip. There's a lot of tennis stories involving airports and sleeping airports. And I've heard some guys train and do exercise in airports, everything to, to, do you know any other Irish players? Uh, McGee. Oh, you know McGee. Okay. McGee's a good guy. Last question. What happens when you show up to your match with one pair of shoes? Well, the only solution to that situation, you have to find the second one or another pair. Uh, it's never happened to me because you come to the match uh, before and you have warm up before. So when you realize you have only one shoe in your bag, uh, you have time to go back to hotel and uh, bring another one or at least find uh, somewhere else like from from a coach or, or whatever. So that's the only the only chance or buy a new pair. Yeah, I'll buy them, but uh, not many, not many sites. We, we have this option to buy But Or your sponsor rep is there with loading new shoes and goes, there you go. Well, I'm, I'm I, no, actually, I've been sponsored for one or two years, but yeah, I play with Nike, so I buy them all the time. So it's not an option for me, unfortunately. Do you work with the guys at Bidi Badu? Yeah, yeah, I do. They're good guys, aren't they? They're some nice. Their latest clothes is quite nice. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I like them and I like to represent them. And uh, uh, I think this year collections are pretty good. Yeah, the quality's got every year gets better. Well, uh, it's my first year, so I cannot compare. Is it? Well, I tell you, well, it's probably about three years now I've been getting the clothes and every year. Last year was good. This year was good. But the early days, it's just got a lot better. The sizing's got better. So you've come on board at the right time. But uh, thank you very much for jumping on this. And yeah, it was great. Thank you. I really enjoyed that chat with Ilya. Hope you did too. I'll be back next week for episode 70. Thanks again to Slinger, our podcast sponsors. As I've mentioned before, if you've any questions regarding the Slinger bag, please just send me a message at ace at functionaltennis.com or over at our Instagram account, Functional Tennis or Functional Tennis Podcast, and I'll do my utmost best to help you. Until next week, goodbye. Goodbye.